Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, Wait. everybody, episode 352 of the podcast of Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, November 5th, 2020, people. Hope everybody is having a great week. And yes, I am very aware that for many of you, it has been a stressful week, uh, a crazy week, a, a relatively unprecedented week in most of our lives. And so because of that, the one thing that I can promise you today is that with everything else going on in the outside world, we are most certainly going to stick to sports on this show because I'll be honest, outside of Tiger King, I really don't know anything besides sports. Some of you may say I don't even know sports as it is, but the one thing I can promise you, we're going to stay with sports today and it's really, uh, frankly, kind of a, a really fun show. I mean, listen, we've been fighting and talking and arguing about college football over the last four, five, six months and as I record here late Wednesday, I got Maction on my TV the Pac-12 is coming back, and so for the college football fan, it's actually a great time. Basically, everybody is back playing college football, and today's show will really emphasize that. We obviously did a little college basketball last episode with Rick Barnes. We talked some SEC. Next week, big guests coming. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll stick with football today, and here's a rundown of today's show very briefly. I did mention the Pac-12 is returning this weekend. Just get you caught up on what you might have forgotten from last season on some of the big teams, who was good, who was bad, all the quirky stuff that is going on in that conference. And then we'll, of course, talk about their chances to make the college football playoff. We'll talk about the big games this weekend, obviously highlighted by Notre Dame Clemson, Florida Georgia. Uh, USC Arizona State is actually a pretty big game in the Pac-12, and I will give out my gambling picks, and we will get out of here. Short show, sweet show. As I said, hopefully I can provide a little bit of a diversion here as I know it is a stressful time outside of the world of sports for everybody. So with that said, I want to remind you before we get started, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. I know I ask every episode. I know you get annoyed, but it really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Leave a review as well. Uh, and finally, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, 
A lot of cool stuff going up on the Instagram page. At uh, Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter. Aaron Torres Writer on Facebook. Uh, anywhere you're on social media, on the computer, you can connect with me. And if you have any questions for the show, by the way, I'm going to ramp up more College Hoops content. If you have any questions College Hoops related, always feel free to send them to uh, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is where you can find me. That is how you can connect. And with that said, people, let's stop wasting more time. Let's get into today's show. And as I said, today is a celebration for college football fans because finally the family was divided all spring, all summer, all fall. The family is getting together at the dinner table this weekend. ACC, Big 12, SEC, Conference USA, AAC, Everybody was back, uh, you know, whatever it was, September 6th or whatever. The SEC comes on board a few weeks later. The Big Ten finally comes on board three Saturdays ago uh, this coming weekend. And now, as I said, the Mac is back. There's Maction on my TV as I record this. And the Pac-12 is back this weekend. And so I've kind of done this every time another conference has come back, the SEC, the Big Ten a few weeks ago. What I just wanted to do is spend a minute kind of just giving you a quick rundown of what happened uh, in the Pac-12 last year. Because listen, uh, just because uh, the Pac-12 isn't always quote-unquote good, they don't always have quote-unquote playoff contenders, uh, it is still an interesting conference. And at the very least, admit it, you're going to love it. When that Clemson-Notre Dame game ends, and you can flip over to ESPN, and you get a little Cal Washington to put you to sleep at 1.30 in the morning, uh, it's a, as American as apple pie is Pac-12 after dark. So I want to give a quick rundown of what happened last year, what you may have forgotten and as I've done with all these other conferences, this is not an in-depth breakdown like if you want like the Oregon State, you know, defensive depth chart, like this probably isn't the place for it. Uh, it doesn't strike me as something you guys would be interested in. Just want to give you again a quick reminder of what happened, what you might have forgotten, all the things that happened in this conference last year as they get set for their first set of games this weekend. The first thing, the most important thing, the most dominant program as things stand in the conference right now. It is the Oregon Ducks, and if you remember last year, Oregon came in with some big-time college football playoff buzz, uh, did not quite live up to the hype, but but you know really had an incredible season. If you remember, they opened against Auburn, they were winning the entire game, they fall apart right at the end, Bo Nix touchdown pass, we think this kid is the next rising star in the sport, hasn't really worked out for Bo Nix. But for Oregon, they, they, it kind of was a disappointing start to what was an otherwise awesome season. Play throughout the season. They get to late in the season. They've actually played themselves back in position to potentially go to the college football playoff. They lose late to Arizona State. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it was, frankly, just a really, really, really positive season for Oregon. They finished the year in the Rose Bowl. They finished 11-2. and They beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And it was obviously a banner season. And, of course, it was headlined, finally, by Justin Herbert being a top-10 pick in the NFL draft. And we see how well he's playing for the L.A. Chargers right now. So Oregon is the one program, I would say right now, that might actually be in position to eventually get to where they can compete for playoff bursts. And maybe someday for the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State fans listening, I'm not saying Oregon ever gets to your level. 
but they are recruiting as well as anybody on the West Coast. They are bringing in five-star kids that the Oregons and Alabamas and Georgias want. And so things are promising for Oregon, not only for this season, but really in the big picture. Now, as it pertains to this season in specific, I don't really know that Oregon's the team. First of all, they lose Justin Herbert. Um, and whatever, he wasn't great in college. Like a, <laughs> I remember calling him college Kirk Cousins last year. In other words, he'd never played well in those big games. Part of it might have been on or- Oregon because he looks so good now that he is in the NFL. But when I look at this team, first of all, you still have to replace a first-rounder at quarterback. But then secondly, and this is really, really, really important, Oregon actually got hit really hard by opt-outs earlier this fall, right? They have a team that probably is the Pac-12 favorite. The Pac-12 goes forever before they decide to play. A bunch of guys opt out, and unlike at Ohio State, at USC, at Minnesota, at Penn State, a lot of these guys decide not to opt back in. And so Oregon, maybe more than any other program, was just crushed by opt-outs. Most notably, they had a kid named Penny Sewell, who was uh, the top offensive tackle. Many people are saying he may be the number two pick in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence this year. He was supposed to be back for his junior year. He opts out. Uh, A couple defensive backs opt out. And so it's just hard to see this team kind of reaching their potential with everything that they've lost. They will be breaking in a new quarterback, and there is still talent. They have a running back named C.J. Verdell who's really good. They have probably the best skill position outside of USC, skill position talent outside of USC in the conference, but it comes down to quarterback. They don't have anybody established. They don't have anybody that they have full confidence in, and uh, it's going to be interesting. But like I said, Oregon will wrap on them. They are the team to watch in the Pac-12. Nobody recruits at the level that they are right now. They actually have two five-star linebackers who were committed uh, last year, Penny Sewell's brother Noah Sewell and Justin Flo from uh, from California, who were both five-star kids. Like I said, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama wanted those kids. And so Mario Cristobal, who is widely considered to be one of the best recruiters anywhere in college football, is building a really, really, really good program uh, at Oregon. But I just do question this year if they have quite enough. Transition now to USC, where somehow, some way, Clay Helton is still the head coach at USC. And it's really been, if you date back to the end of not really last season, but the season before, it's been kind of a crazy uh, two years or 18 months or whatever it's been for USC. Remember, two years ago, USC goes five and seven. Clay Helton is about to be fired. He manages to save his job for one year. Oh, and he goes and hires Cliff Kingsbury as his offensive coordinator. Oh, you forgot that happened. Oh, it happened, people. Cliff Kingsbury, for like a week, was USC's offensive coordinator after he got fired at Texas Tech. And after that, uh, the buzz comes out that he's going to be an NFL head coach. The Arizona Cardinals hire him. But Clay Helton sticks to the idea that he has to modernize this offense. And he does. He hires kind of the next in line uh, kid named Graham Harrell, who was their offensive coordinator last year. And to his credit, he kind of completely flipped USC, excuse me. Uh, They run that air raid offense, which kind of was made famous by Mike Leach, and they were really, really, really successful. It's easy to forget this now because the Pac-12 hasn't played in forever, but USC finished in the top 20 nationally in total offense, and they played really well down the stretch. Took them a while to get going. JT Daniels was the starter. He gets hurt. Keaton Slovis comes in to replace him. 
and they just go bananas on offense. Uh, they win five of their final six games. Their only loss was to Oregon, who was the Pac-12 champ, and there was really a lot of buzz about USC going into the offseason. There still is a lot of buzz coming into this season. As I said, Keaton Slovis is back. Two wide receivers who caught 70-plus balls are back, and they got two five-star wide receivers that are coming to town. Brew McCoy, who was a five-star who committed to USC, ended up going to Texas, returns to USC, he is eligible, and another kid named Gary Bryant. And so you look at USC, and it's very realistic that they will have the most explosive offense on the West Coast in the Pac-12, and there's reason to think based on their talent and based on the way that they finished, they end up going undefeated this year, which would be 7-0 and if they can get in all their games, um, and potentially win the Pac-12. I'm going to continue on USC in a minute, but I want to go to the rest of the league because there is kind of an interesting dynamic with USC and the rest of the league. Just some other notes on teams in this league. Again, I'm not going to spend all day talking about the league, but I do want to talk about some of the other kind of bigger brands in this conference. First of all, Stanford, kind of a fascinating story. Stanford for years, it just felt like one year after the other. 10 wins, 11 wins, 9 wins, 10 wins, 11 wins. They went 4-8 and eight last year. And what was shocking about them going 4-8, and eight, they couldn't run the football. Finished 11th in the Pac-12 in rushing. Obviously, they had no Bryce Love. They had no Christian McCaffrey. Certainly no Andrew Luck at quarterback. And after all those years of having all that NFL talent, it seemed to fall flat on its face. And the crazy thing is, there's not really that much reason for optimism at Stanford this year. Again, they finished four and eight last year, and they bring back, they, they, excuse me, I don't want to say they bring back, they actually had a couple guys opt out last uh, this fall. Much like Oregon, they were hurt by the opt-outs, and now Stanford is kind of a program that's reeling and going in the wrong direction. In talking to some people, I think another interesting thing with Stanford, they're getting hit really hard by grad transfers. This is something to monitor with Stanford going forward. Uh, Stanford's uh, grad programs, as you can imagine, they're really hard to get into. They don't make exceptions for athletes, and so a lot of their depth has been taken away because fifth-year seniors actually have to leave the program because they can't get into grad school. And so Stanford is a program to keep an eye on they actually open this week at Oregon, but they're a team that's just trending in the wrong direction, and they might not be what we've expected them to be, which, as I said, was an eight or was really a 9, 10, 11 win type team, again, coming off a four and eight year. Staying in the Pac 12 North, just a quick note on Washington. Do not forget that their head coach, Chris Peterson, the legend, the icon, started at Boise State. He actually stepped away in the offseason, didn't want to be in the grind of coaching anymore, decides to step off. Longtime defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake, who, who is really well-respected. Uh, Nick Saban actually tried to hire him as his defensive coordinator at one point the last couple years. Uh, he takes over as the head coach, and it'll just be interesting to see, right? Replacing a coach that had three straight 10-win seasons, two Pac-12 titles, and we'll see what the transition is like. I don't know if they are going to be able to maintain that level because really, again, Washington was another school that took a step in the wrong direction last year going 8-5. and five. They don't recruit at a crazy level. They rely on development. And what happens now that Chris Peterson is gone? Looking through the rest of the league, a couple quick notes before we get out of here. First of all, 
UCLA. I, UCLA might – I said US, USC might be the most interesting team in this conference. I take that back. I actually think it might be UCLA. We are entering year three of the Chip Kelly era. Uh, and, yeah, it's been mostly a dud. Three and nine two seasons ago, four and eight last year. The offense is getting better. It is still not a Chip Kelly-type uh, offense that you would come to expect after his success at Oregon. But the real story is the defense, man. 113th in the country in total defense a season ago. In terms of scoring defense, they gave up uh, over 35 points per game. And it's just not clicking. And (laughs) it's kind of crazy to think back to the Chip Kelly era because if you think about it, when he left the NFL, when he got fired for the second time in the NFL and took that year off, It was a year-long process to figure out where Chip Kelly would end up. Remember, he did ESPN studio shows for a year, and everybody was angling to get Chip Kelly. Never forget, Florida wanted Chip Kelly before Chip Kelly committed to go to UCLA. Uh, Tennessee was interested the year they hired Jeremy Pruitt. But again, Florida wanted Chip Kelly, and he chose UCLA over Florida Imagine what would have happened if he had chosen UCLA or he had chosen Florida and he had these kind of results. Uh, kind of incredible to watch. I don't know why it's not working, but it just isn't. I'll be honest, it feels kind of like he's checked out, like he made his tens of millions in the NFL, and now he's at UCLA. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to listen to anybody else, and it's just not working, but that is worth monitoring. Just a couple quick notes from across the rest of the league. I'm not going to break down every other team. Uh, one, Arizona State. Okay, so Herm Edwards is there. We know that. But we have a lot of Cincinnati Bengals fans that listen to this show, a lot of people in the Tennessee, Kentucky area, Ohio area, and uh, don't know if you've been following what Marvin Lewis has been doing, but Marvin Lewis now, the new defensive coordinator at Arizona State, along with Antonio Pierce, who played in the NFL for a long time. So I just thought that was really funny. Listen, not so much this weekend because USC and Arizona State have a very early kickoff on Saturday, but I'm telling you, you're going to be watching Pac-12 football uh, 1.30 in the morning, Saturday night, come home from the bar, Arizona State, Washington or whatever, Arizona State, uh, UCLA, and you're going to be blinking your eyes like, is that Marvin Lewis? He's the defensive coordinator with the Arizona State Sun Devils? Yes, Marvin Lewis is the Arizona State defensive coordinator, so I think that's worth monitoring. Uh, Washington State has a new head coach, Mike Leach, obviously leaving. Nick Rolovich, who was at Hawaii, is now the head coach there. Um, And Colorado, by the way, Colorado, for my West Coast listeners, we have a lot of people that listen in California. For those who've forgotten, Colorado's new head coach is Carl Durrell. For people who do not know who Carl Durrell is, He was the UCLA head coach for about five years, five kind of just forgettable years, nothing good, nothing bad, just kind of eh. Uh, He is now the Colorado head coach, obviously, after Mel Tucker left uh, in the middle of the the, the offseason to go to Michigan State. So that is the Pac-12 recap. And the one thing I want to say before I move on to this weekend's games, I think the Pac-12 is the key to the most fascinating storyline in college football, which is... What if one of these teams goes undefeated, right? Like, I think we understand that even though Ohio State is playing a condensed schedule, if they go 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, they're getting in the college football playoff. I think we all agree they're one of the three or four best teams that we've seen in college football, and I don't think there's any debate that they get in. What I think is more fascinating, though, 
What happens if a Pac-12 team goes 5-0, and 6-0? Does that team get in? Do we give them the benefit of the doubt over a 10-2, 11-2 Notre Dame team, a 10-2, 11-2 Georgia team, Florida, whomever, that has been doing it, has been playing, has been practicing basically since July into August without taking a break? I don't have an answer. I do think it is the most fascinating storyline to follow, though, because look, I, s- I spent all of Monday's show talking about it, but we have a real situation on our hands here where I don't know if we're going to get a fourth really qualified team for this college football playoff, and I'm just saying, does a 5-0, 6-0 Pac-12 champ get serious consideration in this crazy year? I do not know, but I do think it's something worth monitoring. All right. Let's get really quickly to some of the big games of the weekend. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time breaking them all down. But let me just say this. First of all, most interesting game in the noon window is actually in the Pac-12. Did you guys see this? Have you See, see, here's the thing. The Pac-12 just was off our radar for so long that they just do crazy stuff and nobody even knows it's happening. Except this Saturday. How about this? Arizona State. At USC, two best teams in the Pac-12 South on paper are playing. That's the headline. Here's the story behind the story, though. The real headline is they're kicking off at noon Eastern, which I know it's daylight savings. We're all a little confused about time. That's 9 a.m. Pacific. Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, in his attempt to just piss off everybody in Pac-12 country, has convinced himself that the reason his league does not get respect is because of the fact that they play games too late at night. So he has decided, this is his big infinite piece of wisdom, that he is going to start playing games at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, because more fans are in front of the TV at that time. First of all, it's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Because I'll say this. You're never going to compete with Ohio State and Michigan and two SEC games and four Big Ten games and Oklahoma in the noon window. The reason nobody's watching your games is because your teams stink. Get Oregon good, get USC good, make them relevant, and people will watch them regardless of when or where they play. Nobody watches because your teams stink. And so because of it, I crack up when I see this, and I would also say that there's no doubt that the best exposure the Pac-12 has is actually in that 10:30 window when there's nothing else on. But anyway, that is the headline here: USC kicking off against ASU, noon Eastern, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific. Forget Pac-12 after dark. This is Pac-12 before dawn. And I will say it is a fascinating game to me for the reasons that I said a minute ago as it pertains to USC. USC on paper has the most talent in the entire Pac-12 and are certainly the most interesting story, right? Clay Hilton is still on the hot seat. Clay Hilton still has to win. But Clay Hilton has the most dynamic offense in this league, has the most dynamic playmakers in this league, and is going up against an Arizona State defense that wasn't very good last year. Uh, Maybe Marvin Lewis is the guy that figures it out, but... Arizona State finished 115th out of 130 teams in pass defense, so I know USC is coming in as a double-digit favorite. I know that historically they are a team that has struggled early in the season, Uh, but I think USC actually looks really good on Saturday. The other thing, too, I'll say really quickly about USC, I probably should have mentioned it a minute ago, they are the team in the Pac-12 that more than anybody 
fought to have a season. And I don't think you can undersell that because if you look at what Ohio State is doing right now, right? Ohio State fought to have a season. Justin Fields, petition, players lining up, players boycotting, parents going to the Big Ten offices. And if you look at Ohio State, when they come out and play, they look like a team that is on a mission every time they step on the field, not just to beat you, but to prove we belong, we belong in the conversation, and we got this season, and we're not going to waste it. And so I think it's worth monitoring with USC, because I do think when I look at USC, I see a team that I believe, while historically they have not been great under Clay Helton, I get that, I think they fought so hard for this season that I think that they know what is on the line and what, is, what they are capable of doing, and I would not be surprised if they surprise some people and overachieve, potentially live up to their expectations for once, because again, I don't think you can put a price on a team fighting so hard, getting what they want, and now proving that it was the right thing, so that's something to monitor in that USC game. All right, let's transition to the next big game, which is obviously the Saturday 3.30 Eastern CBS Sports game, SEC. That is, of course, Florida-Georgia. World's most outdoor cocktail party, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Don't really know how many cocktails are going to be served this year, but um, this is kind of a crazy game from this perspective, is that I don't know a single person that thinks Georgia's going to win this game, right? The line opened at Georgia minus six, minus five and a half. As I record here on Wednesday night, it's down to minus three. And I think by kickoff, it could be just about a pick And like, I will say in defense of people who want to bet Georgia, like I get it. Georgia's offense has been abysmal. I watched all of that Kentucky game last week because I had Georgia minus 15 and a half. And it's a credit to Kentucky's defense. But Georgia really couldn't do much. And then when they got in the red zone, Stetson Bennett threw a pick. And I think the, the, the verdict is out on Stetson Bennett. One, not only is he not an elite quarterback. Two, if you put pressure on him, man, he makes bad decisions. Balls get batted down. And so I understand the perspective of everyone taking Florida to win this game. I would say with Georgia, also another thing to consider, and this is a serious note, and I'm not trying to be funny, their best cornerback, Richard LeCount got in a motorcycle accident over the weekend. He's okay. He's out of the hospital, but he's clearly not playing. And I think that's a factor, especially going up against this Florida offense that has been so dynamic. Here is where I'm getting tripped up, though, is that everybody loves Florida in this game, and I get it. You know the fact of the matter is, though? Kirby Smart owns Dan Mullen. (laughs) And I talked about it last year on this show And I wanted to revisit it, and I looked up the stats just to make sure that my stats were correct. But here is a crazy stat about Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart. They have met 11 times as either head coaches or coordinators, or when Dan Mullen was a head coach at Mississippi State and Kirby Smart was a defensive coordinator at Alabama. 11 times they have met. Kirby Smart's team is 10-1 straight up in those meetings. The last time a Dan Mullen offense beat a Kirby Smart coach defense was the 2008 SEC Championship game when Tim Tebow was playing quarterback, Aaron Hernandez was at tight end, uh, Lewis Murphy was at wide receiver, Percy Harvin was at wide receiver. It's been a long time. Now, I know what everyone would say is like, come on, dude, you can't really use that as a stat. Kirby Smart was at Alabama with Nick Saban for all those years. Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State. There was obviously a talent differential, and I do get that, right? 
But what I would also say is, since Dan Mullen got to Florida, Kirby Smart is three is uh, two and zero, um, and it just feels like for whatever reason, Kirby Smart has Dan Mullen's number. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. I'm not picking a winner when I get to my picks later, but I will tell you this. I do think that Kirby Smart and Georgia are smart enough to know, much like what they did against Kentucky last week, the only way for them to win this game is to keep it low scoring. I expect them to run the ball as much as they possibly can, but it's going to be fascinating. All right, last kind of big game. Well, two, two, eh, one and a half big games. The real big game is obviously Clemson-Notre Dame, right? And I do think that the big story coming into this one that everybody is talking about, how does our guy DJ Uganlelele, Uganlelele, I can't remember. I did it so well on Monday's episode. Can't do it now, but whatever. DJ Uganlelele, um, how does he handle his first road start against Notre Dame in Notre Dame, in South Bend, in the state of Indiana? And that is the big story that everyone's talking about. We know Trevor Lawrence is going to play. I don't think enough focus, though, is on Notre Dame. And let me explain why. I watched Notre Dame a bunch. Bet him a few times. Didn't bet him a few times, but I've watched him. And I think they're a good team, right? This is, what I'm going to say next isn't the typical media, oh, Notre Dame's so overrated, they're terrible. No, I think they're a really good program. And I think Brian Kelly's about as good of a coach as they are ever going to have in my lifetime. Like, I think he gets it. I think he gets how to recruit there. I think he gets how to be successful there. But if you look at what is going on at Notre Dame right now, this season, they have won games based on really good defense and the ability to run the ball. But more than how they've won games, it's who they've beaten. And as I was getting prepping for this game, I was thinking about, okay, well, who, like, who has Notre Dame beaten? And so I went ahead and looked at the ACC standings. This is a crazy fact about Notre Dame. There are currently seven teams in the ACC with losing records. Notre Dame has played six of those games. So Notre Dame is 6-0, and and all six wins have come against teams with losing records. Now, I would say, obviously, some of the fact that these teams have losing records is because they've played Notre Dame and because Notre Dame is really good. So again, I do not want to take that away from Notre Dame, but they have also kind of beaten a who's who of suck in the ACC. They have beaten Georgia Tech, which is 2-5. and five. They have beaten Duke, which is 2-5. and five. They have beaten Louisville, which is 2-5. and five. They have beaten Pitt, which is 3-4. and four. And so you could sit there and tell me, like, oh, you know, well, you know, whatever. Like, part of it is that they just, they've played, you know, the teams that they've played took a loss to them. Well, Florida State's lost three other times besides when they played Notre Dame. Louisville's lost four other times when they, they've played someone other than Notre Dame. Same with Duke. Same with Georgia Tech. And so my big thing with them is this. Everyone's so focused on DJ Uganlele that I'm sitting here saying, what about Notre Dame? What about Clemson? What about Clemson's defense, which was a little bit embarrassed last week against Boston College, coming into a big game with a chip on their shoulder, wanting to show the world, hey, what y'all saw last week against Boston College That wasn't us, and we're going to prove it on Saturday in South Bend. And I do want to reemphasize something I said on Monday's show. Everyone was freaking out about that Clemson game, and I get it, 34-28 final score. But if you actually go back and think about that game, 
Boston, everything that Boston College could go right did go right for them in the first half of that game, okay? If you think back about all these weird catches, all these weird plays, there's that play on the goal line where Travis Etienne is going in for a touchdown. He coughs the ball up. It gets returned 97 yards the other way. You have the crazy play with Joe Tess's son where he gets Clemson to go off sides. Next play, Boston College scores a touchdown. If you kind of think about just those two plays in the context of that game, just think about it. If Travis Etienne gets the three yards rather than fumbling, all of a sudden, instead of a 28-13 to 13 lead that Boston College had at halftime, it's 21-20. And it feels completely different, not to mention if Joe Tess's son doesn't you know, call the, the, call Clem, get Clemson to go off sides, they might not score a touchdown on that series. They might kick a field goal. So now all of a sudden we're talking about a 20-18 to 18 lead for Clemson instead of 21-20, to 20 and, or 28-13, excuse me. And then on top of that, what nobody's talking about, Clemson outscored Boston College 14-0 in the second half. Clemson's defense, once they got composed, pitched a shutout in the second half. And so I just don't think Notre Dame has seen a defense anything like what Boston College is about to deliver on Saturday, or uh, Boston College, what Clemson is going to deliver on Saturday. I think DJ Uganalele, I think he will be fine. I don't think he's going to be Trevor Lawrence because there's only one Trevor Lawrence, but I do think that he's going to be fine, and I do think that's probably the biggest game on the schedule. I mentioned there's another sort of big game, uh, Oregon playing Stanford in that 7.30 Eastern time window, but I'll be honest. um, I just don't really see much to say about that game other than what I've already said, which is that uh, Stanford is heading in the wrong direction, and Oregon loses a ton, and so I just don't know what to expect in that game. All right. Let's get to some gambling picks before we get out of here. And I will say, like, most of my picks I've actually already talked about in some form or fashion on this show so far. But let's get to the picks. I'll kind of explain why I have eight picks this week. Every week, I swear. I'm like, dude, I'm going to find two, three games that I love and bet those. Instead, I got eight that I like coming into this week. Let's start with our Pac-12 before dawn. USC. Arizona State, bacon, eggs, football, Coliseum. What's going to get you more fired up than seeing an empty Coliseum at 9 a.m.? Nothing. But I do like USC in this game for all the reasons that I am. I'm all over the place, okay? Last couple days have been kind of crazy, okay? Let your boy live, okay? All right. All right, let's get back, to, let's get back on topic. USC, minus 10 and a half. And I like USC, and I'll tell, you I'll tell you why. I'm off the rails today. I like USC because of what I said. They fought for this season. This is their first chance. They get to show the world how much they wanted to play, and they have a real chip on their shoulder. I would also say, for all the flack that that Clay Helton gets, I don't think he's as bad of a coach as everybody makes him out to be. Now, I understand that when you're at USC, the expectation is national championships. The expectation is college football playoffs. But the guy's been a head coach for five seasons, for four seasons, okay? He went to a Rose Bowl in one season, won 10 games, beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl. He won the Pac-12 in his second season. His third season is when he went 5-7 and seven and everybody wanted him gone. But that was more because he had a team that was basically all freshmen. That was the year JT Daniels started at quarterback. And even in that season, they lost three out of their, the, the, their last three losses of the season. They had a lead at halftime and couldn't hold on. 
goes eight and five last year. And like, like, I don't think this guy's nearly as bad of a coach as people make him out to be. His problem is that he always gets behind the eight ball early in the year, loses a game he shouldn't. And then all of a sudden they're playing catch up the rest of the year. But I do like USC. Like I said, they fought for this season. I do think they come out. I think they win. I think they cover. I'm thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of 38 to 14, 31, 38, 21, somewhere in that neighborhood, they win. I think the over will be a factor as well. Don't know if I trust Arizona State's quarterback, Jaden Daniels, so I'm going to stay away from the over. Do like USC minus 10.5. Staying in the noon window. Uh, I like Michigan. And I know I'm Mr. Flip-Flop on Harbaugh. I know two weeks ago I said, why don't we ever give him credit for anything? And I crushed him on Monday after losing to Michigan State. But what I would say about Harbaugh is very simply this is that I think we're, we're spe- focusing so much on him, and I want to look at the other side of the, the ball, the other side of things here, and that's with Indiana, okay? So Indiana is this feel-good story. For people who don't know, Michigan's playing at Indiana. Michigan is a three-point favorite on the road in Indiana. I think everybody's like, well, Michigan sucks. Indiana's good. Let's take Michigan. Let's take Indiana. Here's my argument to that. First of all, Indiana, feel-good story. Everybody loves them. That Penn State game that they won, Penn State doubled Indiana's total offense. Penn State gives away two t- or a touchdown off of a, a turnover. Um, and even after all that, Indiana needed a refs, essentially a refs bailout to win that game in overtime, okay? So they don't win that game. It's completely different. And then last week against Rutgers, they used two turnovers late to seal that game. And I just sit there and I look and I just say like, I don't think Indiana's that good. I think they're a good story. I don't think they're that good. And I would say the numbers largely back me up on that. Here's a crazy stat for you. You wouldn't think it. Indiana's ranked 13th out of 14 teams in the Big Ten in total offense. In other words, they're not moving the ball. The only team that's worse than them is Rutgers. So you talk about Iowa, Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue. I mean, all these teams are moving the ball more than Indiana. And I just don't think they're very good. I get why people are frustrated with Harbaugh. I get why, whether it's a Michigan fan, a non-Michigan fan, people want him out. I'm just telling you, he has a significant talent advantage here, and I think everybody in the betting market uh, is completely overvaluing last week's loss, which, by the way, uh, came by you know one possession. It was close late. They had a chance to win. I know, I know you can't lose to Michigan State. I get that. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying they lost by a field goal. People were acting like they lost by 40. So I like Michigan State. I like Michigan minus three against Indiana. Speaking of Michigan State, they play Iowa at Iowa, and I like the under in that game of 46, okay? I know, sexy bets to start the day. We got uh, USC with no fans in the stands. We got Iowa versus Michigan State. But I just think when I look at this game, the spread's 40, or the over-under's 46, and I look at Michigan State, right? I just mentioned it. Michigan State played the best that they possibly could last week and barely held on to beat Michigan. They put up 27 points, essentially playing the best they could, getting every call they could, and they still only put up 27 points. And so I think to ask them to go on the road a second straight week, coming off a win over a rival, I think it's close. I think it's low scoring. I think it's the typical Big 10 noon window game, baby. That's right. Spent so much time talking about Pac-12 after dark, Maction, not enough time talking about boring old Big 10 football at noon Eastern. This is it. I like the under. All right, 3.30 games. Uh, I mentioned it. I do like the under in the Florida-Georgia game. 
not going to spend too much time on this. I spent a bunch of time talking about it a minute ago. But when I look at this game, what I see is a Florida team, or Georgia team, excuse me, that knows their only chance to win this game is to run the ball as much as they possibly can, take as much time off the clock as they possibly can, and try to keep this as low scoring as they possibly can. They try to get in a shootout like they did with, uh, with, um, with Alabama a few weeks ago. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to work. And so I think Florida or Georgia tries to keep it low scoring. I think their defense plays well. They have Dan Mullen mostly figured out. And I like the under of 52 and a half in this game. 330 window also. Okay. Another bet that I love. Uh, Kansas is at Oklahoma. Okay. Don't know how much you know about Kansas football. They're not very good. They are currently actually 0-6 against the spread this season. So if you haven't bet more than a bunch of money betting on them, shame on you. But I actually like them in the first half of this game. So the first half spread's about 20 and a half. And I like uh, Oklahoma. Did I say I like Kansas? I like Oklahoma. Because Oklahoma now has turned the corner. They look great against Texas Tech. And I think they know they're playing themselves back into the Big 12 championship picture after Oklahoma State lost and Kansas State lost. Oklahoma returning home also for their first home game since September. I think we get great Oklahoma in the first half. I think they dominate. I think they're up like 28-0 at halftime. And I like Oklahoma to cover the first half spread of 20 and a half. So I'm just betting the first half in this one. I'll wrap up because I'm going long. I told you I like Clemson. I don't trust Notre Dame. One-dimensional offense. Haven't played anybody good. I do like Clemson to cover the six and a half. And I also like the under of 51 and a half in this game. And then finally, lastly, to finish everything. Late night, Pac-12 after dark. Did not mention this team in my Pac-12 review. But Cal, fourth-year head coach named Justin Wilcox, every single year that he has been there, their win total has improved. Went from five wins to seven wins to eight wins last year. Obviously, he's not going to top it this year unless they go undefeated. They'd have to go 9-0. and um, But they're at home. First-year head coach on the other sideline playing Washington. And Cal, how about this? They won their bowl game last year. Cal returns every single starter on offense from this bowl game. This opened as Washington over a field goal favorite. It has now flipped the other way. Cal is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and I think they win, and I think you need to get this number now because if you don't, it's only going to go up come kickoff. I should mention, by the way, if you're going to be gambling, my bookie, promo code Torres, they'll double your deposit if it's your first deposit. Go to mybookie.ag, promo code Torres. You want about 50 bucks, uh, they'll give you 100 to play with. Use the promo code Torres at checkout. And I should also say all these write-ups at errantorresonline.com. But very quickly, here are the picks again. USC minus 10 and a half. Uh, Michigan minus three against Indiana, the Michigan State Iowa under, Kansas at Oklahoma. I like the first half for Oklahoma, Clemson. I like them minus six and the under, and finally Cal minus one and a half. And those picks are also up on Instagram, so make sure to find them there. All right, I think that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to go enjoy the last few minutes of Maction. Before I get out of here, though, I want to remind you. Please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, 
TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Finally, if you're not following on social media, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, YouTube, Aaron Torres Writer on Facebook, um, and Aaron Torres Podcast Questions. We're really going to ramp up the college hoop stuff next week. As I said, big guest on Tuesday. Um, hopefully some more big guests throughout into college hoops, but we are two weeks away from the start of college hoop season. Three, three Wednesdays from now, we will have college hoops, so that is very, very, very exciting. But yeah, that's all for today's show. Um, really fun show. We'll be back Monday. There's going to be plenty to talk about. Good guest Tuesday, but I think that's it. So thank you guys for listening. Appreciate you guys indulging me. Everybody stay safe out there. Uh, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Your boy will be back on Monday.